is the second talk of this 2012 session on gratitude. There is a mudra in the Buddhist tradition of holding the hands like this. The mudra of gratitude is just holding the hand like this so that things fall out automatically. The mudra of receptivity, in a way, is almost the same, holding the hands like this. When we receive, we give. When we receive, we give. And in a way, that's a, that's a mudra, a practice all of its own. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. The two are complementary. The two are two sides of the same coin. Just like the breath. The breath is the practice of gratitude, the practice of um, generosity. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. For our entire life, we're receiving and we're giving. It's not a matter of, oh, I will receive and give and there'll be some extra special zip on top of it, but our very nature, the very nature of this life, the very nature of our being is receiving, giving, receiving, giving. Receive gratefully, give generously. Receive gratefully, give generously. It's automatic. It's part of our basic nature. It's our true nature. We've been talking about, about during this session about alertness, of being present, being alert, being alert to our lives, being alert to our breath, being alert to gratitude, being alert, being alert, being alert, being alert. The content of the alertness is not important. It is the alert mind that is so important. And there are some people here who are working on being alert to a very dead state of mind fun, but we can still do it. There are some people here who are working on being alert into sleep. There are people who are working on being alert to the endless stream of gratitude, the endless stream of generosity of the breath. There are people here who are working on being alert to the visual field, being alert to the nature of this body. This alertness we're talking about is the foundational truth. In a way, it is our true nature. It is our life. The vow to share that alertness with all beings is the vow to be alert, to be alert to whatever comes our way. And in that alertness, we automatically receive and give, receive and give, receive and give. We add on so much other, many other things that confuse us that make us feel like we are these gnarly, dark things inside. So this session, we're talking about gratitude, alertness and gratitude, alertness and the natural truth of our lives. Here are a few quotes about gratitude. Gratitude is an opener of locked-up blessings. There is not a more pleasing exercise of the mind than gratitude. It's accomplished 
with such an inward satisfaction that the duty is sufficiently rewarded by the performance. Gratitude is the music of the heart when its chords are swept by the breeze of kindness. Wherever I have knocked, a door is opened. From where I have wandered, a path is, wherever I have wandered, a path has appeared. There is no greater difference between human beings than between grateful and ungrateful people. Courtesies of a small and trivial character are the ones which strike deepest in the grateful and appreciating heart. The world has enough beautiful mountains and meadows, spectacular skies and serene lakes. It has enough lush forests, flowered fields, and sandy beaches. It has plenty of stars and the promise of a new sunrise and sunset every day. What the world needs more of is people to appreciate and enjoy it. This is not only a human practice, but it's also our fundamental innate spiritual practice. When we are alert, things reveal themselves to us. When we are alert, we see interesting things about our psyche, about our body, about the world we live in. We see interesting things. And we can can choose where we're going to turn our particular alertness to. This practice that we're doing during this week hopefully sets the stage, sets the attitude, turns, opens the heart, gives us a particular way of living, which we get to practice in this very intimate, wonderful, intimate um, setting. And then we can take out into our lives, as though there were some other life. There's only this life, there's only this mind, there's only this, this particular breath each of us are breathing. And sometimes it looks like we're in a room here, and sometimes it looks like we're outside, and sometimes it looks like we're working with people, and sometimes it looks like we're working and sitting in the dark. But it's always the same breath, the same mind. Who does not think for little will not think for much. All that we behold is full of blessings. Thou hast given so much to me. Give one thing more, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleaseth me, as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. A heart whose pulse is praising, is grateful. The hardest arithmetic to muster is that which enables us to count our blessings. the world's virtues in a way are measured by gratitude. God gave you a gift of 86,400 seconds a day. How many have you used to say thank you? The pilgrim has made seven times more graves than huts. No American's ever been more impoverished than these who, nevertheless, set aside a day of thanksgiving. The only prayer you said in your whole life was, thank you, that would suffice. What we're doing here during this few short days, hours together, is fundamentally human. 
is fundamentally enlivening, is fundamentally awakening. To learn to have gratitude for the most intimate gift that we all have. We start off all of our Jukai ceremonies, our precept ceremonies, our five precept ceremonies, ordination ceremonies, with vows to parents for the gift of this life. And regardless of what our particular relationship might be with our parents right now, regardless of what we may or may not think they did or did not do for us, nonetheless, they have given us this gift of life. And our practice here is to be alert, moment by moment by moment, to this gift of life, this gift of our life, this gift of our breath. We think about gratitude and generosity, often it's expressed out there. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for this thing. I'm grateful for the floor. I'm grateful for the light. But as we practice in Sashen, we turn our mind more and more intimately. And what is the source of gratitude? What is the source of all things? It is this place that we have to learn to be alert to. It is, of course, not separate from anything, but it's a matter of, are we looking at the floor, or are we looking at the altar, or are we aware of the mind that is looking at the floor, the mind that is looking at the altar? Not that they're two different things, they're just different views of the same thing. So as we practice, and as we emphasize alertness, and as we become more and more alert to this breath, as we become more and more alert to the room, as we become more and more alert to the way things are right now instead of our fantasies about how things may be in the future or might have been in the past, which is just fantasies. And we gradually hone our awareness and return and return and return and return and return and make the vow over and over the vow, I will be in reality. I will offer this reality. I will share this reality with everyone. As we do that, our view broadens, becomes much larger. It includes the so-called grateful things out there, which we can use that practice of what we're grateful, of the things we are grateful for out there, to really uh, heal all those old resentments and angers and all those old frustrations and <clears throat> things that we feel. The more we can be grateful for the things out there we are, the less obsessed we are with the things we don't like. But what is liberating, what is freeing, what is touches more deeply than the ebb and flow of things that we appreciate or don't appreciate, is the state of mind, is the mind, is the foundation of mind, is the source of gratitude, is the source of all things. And that what Sashen is also about. What is the source of this life? What is this life? I thought we would uh, explore this just a little bit here with two different kinds of teachings so you can see a different contrast. And so I'll be reading a little bit from a Vajrayana text, a Dzogchen text, and then I'll read a little bit from a Zen text and we'll kind of look at and comment on these two different things as part of our practice. On another occasion, 
Rigzin Dudal Dorji, said to me, Vajra, the eternal Vajra, just the truth. Truth, the eternal truth. With the actual meaning, look to space itself. The actual meaning of the eternal truth, look to space itself. Revealing the meaning of this, he stated the following. Ah, this empty space is the ground for the arising of the entire universe. Empty space is the ground for the arising of the entire universe. We're sitting here in this room, alert, seeing the light, hearing the sounds. What is it that's around all things? What is it that permeates all things? We can't weigh space. We can't actually measure space. We can measure the distance between two objects. We can't actually put our finger on space. We can't hold space. We can't see the limits of space because it contains everything. And yet, that which is permeates, that out of which our very thoughts arise is this great mystery which he's calling, for the sake of a better word, space. We could say Buddha nature, we could say true nature, we could say the enlightened mind, we could say the ground of being, they're all just words. Ah, this empty space is the ground for the arising of the entire universe. For example, it's like a mirror being the ground for the arising of a reflection, which has never existed as anything other than a mirror. It's like water being the ground for the arising of the moon's image, which has never existed as anything other than water. And it's like the sky being the ground for the arising of a rainbow, which has never existed as anything other than the sky. Our very nature our very alert mind, our very awareness itself is just like this. Always. Just this alert mind. And sometimes things come into it and it looks one way. And sometimes things come into it and it looks another way. Sometimes clouds come into it and it looks very dark. Sometimes bright sun comes into it and it looks very luminous. Sometimes we are like zombies, and sometimes we're fluid and bright, easy. The very nature of our mind, the very nature of the source of all things, does not start someplace else. The Big Bang did not occur at some mysterious and effable spot someplace else. It had to occur at the only place things can occur. The only time things can occur. We have to see, not with our rational mind, not by figuring it out, although it's not, not, um, it's not void reason, but by going to the direct, most intimate, alert presence. Right here. Thoughts come and go. What's before thought? Emotions come and go. What's before emotion? All the conditions of our life come and go. 
what have they reflected? What sees them all? This is the mind this text is talking about. This space, this mind, this Buddha nature, our true nature, continuing the text here, this space, since it cannot be injured, is invulnerable. This space cannot be conquered or destroyed. It's indestructible. This space resides as the basis for the unfolding of the world of appearances and possibilities. It's authentic. Since space cannot be altered by flaws or positive qualities, it's incorruptible. Since space is free of transition or change, it's stable. Since space is completely permeates even the tiniest subatomic particle, it is in all ways unobstructed. And since nothing whatsoever can damage it, space is in all ways invincible. We could easily change the word space, as I've been saying here, and say our true nature, our true mind, the true, our essence, our who we are, invulnerable. There's a famous quote by the great Zen master Joshu. He said, Something like it's been years since I've read this. You can spit at me, you can hit me, you can disparage me, but there is no way you can harm me. And of course, our personality, a personality is very vulnerable, our body is very vulnerable. You know, it's going to just get creaky and weird and die. That's the way it is. But our luminous nature that sees this is untouchable. Untouchable. Authentic. Unmarred. Unflawed. Stable. The text continues, since all material substances can be damaged by weapons, they are vulnerable. Since they can be conquered or destroyed under certain conditions, they are subject to destruction. Since they can change into one thing or many, they are false. Since they can be altered by something else, they are corruptible. Since they involve movement and vacillation, they have no permanent location and are unstable. They are in every way obstructed. So when we're here in Sashin, this is a description of our ordinary struggling mind. We're struggling to have clarity, we're struggling to see things, and we're struggling to be awake, and we're struggling, and we're struggling, and we're struggling, and we're struggling, and we're struggling. You know, the fact that we're human beings means that that's inevitable. Somebody who does not know how to really work hard and to face challenges is a really inadequate person. And part of growing up, part of really being a mature person, is the ability to put one's foot down and then just accept the consequences of that. To be completely present wherever we arrive. And to deal with, as the, uh, the chant that we sometimes do, the Limitation from all obstructions. Freedom from all obstructions. Whatever it's called. It says, when it's time to live, we really completely live without running away. When it's time to die, we completely die without running away. This essential part of growing up, this essential part of learning how to really face these challenges and feel almost completely crushed by them and yet continuing and opening up into a new level of strength and a new level of competency is essential. It's a, it's a very important part. Children who can't do that according to their own particular maturational development have big problems in life. 
But that is not liberation. That's not what is talked about about liberation. It's not what we're talking about here about freedom. And when we talk about freedom, of course, it means the freedom to plunge into very difficult situations. Of course, we're talking about freedom means the freedom to take on unbelievable responsibilities, far beyond what any of us have done. But there's a freedom for small things and large things. There's a freedom and a stability of mind, which is what we are looking at, looking from, during Sushin. On one level, of course, we're trying just to stabilize the mind and become present. That's one level. But to actually see the nature of our own mind, to actually see the nature of our own being, to actually see that we are sitting right here and we are completely the recipient of endless gifts and completely the recipient of endless, giver of endless, endless gifts. In, endless gifts out. Endless generosity toward, endless generosity out. Until it's just generosity. Until it's just dana. Until it's just gratitude. Until it's just one thing. Until it's just one mind. This is not conceptual. This is not something we have to figure out. The bottom line is the alert, clear mind. Not even clear. Clear is an extra word. The alert awareness. The alert awareness sometimes has very foggy objects and sometimes has very brilliant objects. The qualities of alert awareness are, first off, there is an awareness. It's aware. When we are present in alert awareness, where is awareness? There is awareness. We have not become a zombie. We have not turned into a stone toad. It also has a certain light to it, a certain brightness to it. In the dark, there is a brightness. It's not a matter of the objects. When we turn on the light in our own eye, we turn on the light in our own mind, which we have the ability to do. In the light, there is dark. In the darkness, In the darkness, there is light. We can't look for it because it's always present. So during uh, a session, It is this luminous quality of our own mind going through every condition which is so important. Now, I think we've mentioned this a number of times, that if you are in the garden and you're growing things, in the kitchen you're cooking things, in the woodshop you're working on things, in the housekeeping department you're cleaning things, if you really are paying attention to what you're doing, and you really kind of keep coming back and checking at something and looking how do the mats move, or how does the, the water boil, or how does the wood cut? If you're, if you're really looking at it, things reveal themselves. Interesting things come forth. Things reveal themselves just because we have been carefully, carefully, carefully looking. Carefully looking. And then, if we have a particular kind of mind, we can add a, a certain kind of mind to that. But the essential quality is careful 
fresh looking. Careful, fresh awareness. And so that's the quality that we can all easily work with during during Sishin. Coming back and coming back and coming back. Alert, alert, alert. Present, present, present. And each person has a practice which he or she is using as their anchor for alertness. The practice is not some special mystical thing all by itself. If I just do the practice right, I'll get my big reward. Hallelujah. The practice is about, can I use this particular object, this particular state, this particular approach as a way of being alert? Alert. I think it's very interesting to, to when we're practicing with alertness, we suddenly find there are areas that we are very easily and naturally quite alert. And there are areas where we go all blurry and, and get all mixed up. I found in recent years that trying to be alert into sleep, so that sleep is not a matter of, you know, you lie in bed and you just go unconscious, but you, you're lying in bed and you're alert. And people say, oh, I didn't sleep very well last night. It's okay. Be alert. Be alert. What can you learn from being alert? Some people have a lot of difficulty with pain. The way it is, you've got a body, it's going to hurt sometimes. But sometimes that makes us so alert that things become apparent, things become clear. It's not, it's not, a, a, it's not something wrong. It's simply another way to be alert. There's a koan in the uh, Blue Cliff record. 23rd case, Pafu's Summit of the Mystic Peak. And I love this pointer, so I'll just read this. The, the, each, each of these cases in the, in the uh, Hikigan Roku and the Blue Cliff record has an introduction to it, which is always, often I think, is the, uh, the jewel of the, of the piece. But here's this one, the pointer. For the Summit of the Mystic Peak, jewels are tested with fire. Gold is tested with a stone. A sword is tested with a hair. Water is tested with a pole. So these are just kind of standard ways of, uh, certainly in the old days, of testing particular substances. You know, you scratch a scratch gold to see how hard it was, see if it had the, the right softness for compared to other metals, or you'd you know, see how sharp a sword was by holding it up, and they often would say you let a hair cross over a sword see if it was sharp. You stick a pole in the water to see if it's, how deep it is. <coughs> in the school of the patch-robed monks, and that is the Chan school, the Zen Buddhist school, in one word, one phrase, one act, one state, one exit, one entry, one encounter, one response, you see whether someone is deep or shallow. You see if they're facing forward or backward. Such a lovely line. In our school, in one word, one phrase, one act, one state, one exit, one entry, one encounter, one response, you see whether someone is deep or shallow, whether they're facing forward or backward. So when we're saying be alert, the, the, the tea servers this time have been particularly, particularly alert and been particularly aware 
how somebody enters the zendo, how somebody walks through the hall, how somebody picks up a tray, how somebody puts down a fork, reveals their state of mind, reveals their, are they alert, are they present, right here, right now. Everything. There's a very famous koan where, um, or a commentary subset of a koan, where a teacher goes to another teacher who is a great big monastery and says, you know, I really want to, to get one of uh, your <coughs> ordained people to come and start a new monastery. And the first teacher says, well, I've got a few possibilities here. The second teacher says, well, let me see them. And, he, and, he, and he's, his, his instructions were, have them walk a few steps and cough. That was it. Have them walk a few steps and cough. So he had the senior monk walk a few steps and cough. He said, oh, I'll take that, that one right there. Alert, alert, alert. He was watching for alertness. Often in working with koans, not that we're doing that this time, but often working with koans, it's the, present, it's the way we present the right answer that makes the right answer the right answer. It's not there is something or we call the right answer and we can present it in a very dull and boring and, and unalert manner and then, oh yes, because it's the right answer, it's the right answer. It is the way, it is the state of mind that we're presenting something. That's what makes all the difference. It's the alertness in the koan. Here's the koan, actually. Part of the koan. Once when Pao Fu and Chang Ching were wandering in the mountains, Pao Fu pointed with his hand and said, right here, is the summit of the mystic peak. Ching, Chang Ching said, it is indeed. What a pity. And I, I like the translation too bad, but you get the idea. So we have this Dvajjana text which is saying, empty space, empty space, empty space. Everything is empty space. The bright, illuminated mind. And you have this Zen text. There's somebody who's coming out and they're walking in. They, they're pointing and saying, Look, pointing at the altar and saying, right here, this is the illumined, bright, spacious mind. And the teacher says, too bad. Too bad. So it is, too bad. It is very important as we're practicing that we're not practicing some conceptual idea of things. That we don't have some picture in our head of, oh yeah, it really should be like this. Oh, yeah, I really should do it like this. I really should look like that. Oh, I really should have this experience or that experience. This monk in this koan you know, may have had a deep experience, may not have. May have said, yes, this is the ultimate truth right here, right here. Ultimate truth. As a, as a non-conceptual expression of all that Vajrayana talk. But if we think that any particular state, if we think that any particular place, if we think that any particular this or any particular that is it, we've missed mystic. On the other hand, if we think that any particular place or any particular state or any particular condition is not embodied the big truth, the great truth, the great mystery, We've missed it. What do we do? How do we practice? This is the 
Is there a truth? Isn't there a truth? Can the truth be embodied? Can it not be embodied? Is the truth skillful or unskillful? Is it right or wrong? Is it present or not present? How do we see that? What is the origin? Does it have an origin? What is the origin of the alert mind? We talk about gratitude and we have all these good things to say about gratitude and all the great authors of history have had many things, wonderful things to say about gratitude. But what is the source of gratitude? This, what is the source? Is there a source? Is there a thing? Oh yes, gratitude comes from Pandora's box. I open up the box and out springs hope and gratitude and whatever. Where is that box? We have to practice with our alert, alert mind, without any idea of what we're looking for, without any particular idea, without any particular box. We're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking at the alert mind itself. We're looking at the alert mind with the alert mind, and the alert mind cannot be found, and yet we can't miss it. It's the ultimate call, the ultimate conundrum. And we come back in Sashen, and come back, and come back, and come back, and come back, alert, right here, right now. There's a poem by Rumi. It's entitled, What Was Told? That. What was said to the rose that made it open was said to me here in my heart. What was told the cypress that made it strong and straight. What was whispered the jasmine so that it is what it is. Whatever made made sugarcane sweet. Whatever was said to the inhabitants of the town of Chigil in Turkestan that makes them so handsome. Whatever lets the pomegranate flower blush like a human face. That is being said to me right now. I blush. Whatever put eloquence in language, it's happening here. The great warehouse doors open. I fill with gratitude, chewing a piece of sugar cane. In love with the one to whom every that belongs. Our practice has at its foundation deep, deep respect for this un, for this burgeoning mystery of this moment, for this unfolding light, which is our very alert, luminous. Please, have great confidence. Have great faith. Nobody is lacking anything. No one is lacking anything. Have great confidence. We're not trying to shape ourselves into some funny little android 
box-like thing. This is about liberation, about seeing our inherent, innate freedom. And then, all, of course, the implications of that. Please have deep faith. Please practice. In the ways that we've been talking about. It does not matter what we experience. Here's another poem by W.S. Merwin. Listen. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. We're stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We're running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We're standing by the water thanking it smiling by the windows, looking out in our directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging, after funerals, we're saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we're saying thank you. Over telephones, we're saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door, and the beatings in the stairs. We're saying thank you. In the banks, we're saying thank you. In the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you, thank you. The animals dying around us over our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forest falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we're saying thank you. With the words going out like the cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we're saying thank you faster and faster with nobody listening. And we're saying thank you. We're saying thank you and waving no matter how dark it is. It is this spirit of thanks, of gratitude for this life for this mind, for this luminous moment. There's a spirit of deep practice. Please find this liberation. Please know it. Taste it. Be it.